Welcome to Everyday Nonviolence, Extraordinary People Speaking Truth to Power. This podcast is developed by Friends for a Nonviolent World, FNVW, whose mission is to champion nonviolence as the foundation for effective programs and actions to promote the dignity of every living being. Violence impacts us all. Our goal here is to give voice to people who are working to use active nonviolence those who have experienced violence, and those who have committed acts of violence. Each week we'll hear stories that will deepen our understanding of violence and the principles of nonviolence. Our host today is Joanne Perry, a longtime activist and lifelong pacifist. We're welcoming Mr. Matthew Walker today. Mr. Walker is an author, a playwright, a poet, and a workshop facilitator in addition to many other facets of his creative life. Mr. Walker comes to us today to discuss his passage through the world to a life of intentional nonviolence. Welcome, Matthew. We're delighted to have you as part of our ongoing commitment to be a voice for justice, nonmilitarism, and for social change. It would be helpful for us to know a little bit about yourself, who you are now, and where you've been. So that's always an interesting question, um, and probably not the most comfortable of questions. Uh, Part of who I am, um, and who I was, I guess, is I was never okay with myself. And a lot of depression, a lot of suicidalness, just a lot of problems in my life. Because of that, I made some very poor choices, and I was incarcerated 2001 for a sexual assault. And before I ever broke any laws or anything else, like I knew I had issues in my life. And I'm not talking about depression. I mean, that, that stuff is one thing. But I mean, the idea that culturally, uh, or especially in my neighborhood, like, you know, violence is something that's uh, definitely taught. Like, if you, to toughen you up, you know, they learn the verbal violence, the jarring, the, and, and all that stuff. But then beyond that, there's also the, you know, the fighting and stuff to make sure that you can handle yourself. I wasn't really into that stuff. And so I remember one time, this was a person I thought was my friend. And something happened, and everybody's like, well, you, you guys got to fight now. I don't want to fight him. I can disagree with him and not want to fight him. Like, no, y'all are going to fight. And so uh, we got to fighting. I was cool because I didn't want to fight to begin with. So when we got to a point where we're tired, I'm like, good enough for me. But they turn around and they, they beat him up pretty bad. And it's like, it just those type of experience and wanting something different, but not knowing how to get out of it and not knowing people that wanted something different. Um, and so while incarcerated, I had the opportunity to take some AVP workshops which is Alternatives to Violence Project, um, a organization that was started in 1972, 75, after some riots in Greenhaven Prison, where basically inmates reached out to Quakers saying, hey, we want something different. Um, they want to make it out of prison alive, as well as you know, facilitate some, some healthier stuff. And having been incarcerated, um, I definitely can relate to that experience of wanting to make, you know, find some skills because it's a very violent place. I got invested, loved the tools that were brought that I learned, and it made such an impact in my life that I couldn't wait to come out and be a part of it in the community. And so one of the wonderful things about why I'm here is because I now know of a strong community, a large community, an international community, uh, AVP, of people that are wanting to do something different, of wanting to share that with other people and create a space 
where if you want to do something and be something different, great. We can walk walk there with you. And that's such a powerful thing for me. And for a lot of people that I met incarcerated, they want the same thing. They wanted to do something and be something different, but didn't have the venue to be able to explore that. It sounds absolutely overwhelming to be caught in a world that has very few choices. Active nonviolence at its core is the idea that there's always a choice and you can do something no matter how small. And I could see how powerful that might be. Was that one of the um, turning points for you? Empowerment is, yeah, what a gift. I mean, there's many gifts that you can receive in life. And I really believe empowerment, the seeing the, the multitude of choices. Again, like you say, something as simple as breathing, you know, how powerful is it just to, to take a breath and give yourself distance in a moment. One of the things that's really wonderful about workshops, and it doesn't matter if you're doing role plays or whatever type of show, they're experiential workshops. And so you really get a chance to see, not just in yourself, but in others, these moments. So I was thinking about role play that Hank and I did. And Hank was going to pretend he was going to get on the phone before me. Okay, hey, no problem. I'll wait. Then he said something else. I'm okay, like, this might be a problem, so I'm going to address it using some healthy communication. Wonderful. But then he kept going, so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to leave. And he's like, well, I'm not going to let you leave. What if I just keep doing this? And it got to a point where it's like my options, my tools are shrinking for what I'm comfortable with and what I'm capable of using, but I want something different. And so it was nice because it was a workshop. So I could say, hey, time out, let's stop. I could use some, some ideas because if this were real life right now, it would probably be a fight situation. Not because I want it, but because I don't know how to stop, stop this from playing out. So I had several people in the workshop that it never got resolved. And throughout the weeks, I kept coming back and revisiting it because it was important. Again, I think we all innately want to do more nonviolent options. But when we are unable to, I think there's a residue that sits with us. Or with myself, there's definitely a residue and it builds up. And it's not a good feeling, of course. Um, what I ended up coming up with was there's a difference between protecting myself and learning the skills to protect myself. Because what Hank was proposing in that moment was physical violence. And so obviously safety is a legitimate concern. And you want to be safe. You want to know that you're physically safe and others are. So if I need to, I could go take, you know, whatever type of self-defense classes. So that in that type of moment, I'm able to defend not only myself, but to protect him. Protect him from himself and from me. And I'd have been good in that moment. To be able to say that I don't have to worry about this. This is not an issue. But because I didn't have those skills and because I didn't know that I needed those skills, that was my problem. So when I identified an alternative, wonderful. You know, you can put people in holds or whatever that stops them from hurting you and themselves until they calm down or until you get enough other people there to support you. Lovely. And so that's what I came up with that. And it felt so empowering because I love the words you used earlier, empowering. Because now I can not only honor the values that, and the beliefs that are important to me, but there's obviously the, the core need of being able to feel safe and protected and whatever else. And that, all of those came together and just, I don't think I've, that's probably one, I've had maybe several, but that's one of the most powerful moments I had because it was like, yes, this can, like I'm getting goosebumps right now. Like it can work. The excitement is showing in your voice. It sounds like a very powerful workshop and a very powerful example. I also am struck by the fact that you are able to articulate being on the path and also knowing when there's branches off and knowing that there's skills to be learned, that you never fully arrive, that you are still always in the process. Yes. It's a lovely story.
Active nonviolence or pacifism and the prevention of violence are enormous topics. Let's talk a bit about your personal commitment to these ideas and maybe how you develop them. If they came from ABP, that's great, but it, maybe they came from other sources too. I mean, you, we don't live in a vacuum. <laughs> so, in other words, what is your story on this, this path of active, intentional nonviolence? ABP has a lot of wonderful skills. And I think in addition to that, one of the things that's been helping me is, a, is mindful contemplation of like, what are your thoughts, what are your emotions, and just seeing what's present and just being able to let it go. Not let it go, but just to, to not take ownership of it or the story, and that's part of it. And so in the role play with Hank and I, and the wanting to do something different, just being able to note that what, one thing that was arising was fear, one thing that was arising was anger, a uh, sense of powerlessness, well, I know those things pass also because I've contemplated them, and, you know, mindfully. And so it gives me freeness to not have to react right in that moment. And it gives me a space. And that was really empowering. You know, one of the exercises we talk about in, in AVP is that pause. That's part of what helped with that. Um, knowing that my thoughts started speeding up because of that fight-flight uh, syndrome that kicked in, just being able to see it for what it is means I'm not this, that, or the other. These thoughts are happening, and I don't have to identify with it. I can let it go. And that's what I missed. I missed in that I didn't know how to mindfully and personally connect to it, but it's always been present. And always wanting it, but not being in a culture that really said, hey, here's how you go about it. I've always wanted something different. But I never, you know, it's hard to say this is what I want until you can name something. So being able to say that I want a deeper sense of peace, I want a deeper sense of spaciousness. And I think mindfulness really offers a sense of spaciousness. AVP offers tools that can get you in part to that, as well as, again, just meditating and, and a host of other things. Um, so it's always been present, but I didn't know that what I was looking for. I just knew something was missing. And I think like most people, when something's missing, you just try and find feelings. And when you find something, for me, you know, it was food, it was money. Prior to me ever going to prison, I was somewhat successful, marketing director and you know, you get the house and the cars, and it's like, okay, I'm there, I'm good. But I wasn't because I was always missing that part, which is, I think, at the to me, I think part of it, at that core, that pacifism is really just a wholeness, a unity. Why would I ever want to harm you or anybody else when I see that innate part of who you are? That yearning to be free, as so many writers have spoken, free from the shackles of violence and the consequences therein. That's kind of an amazing way of phrasing it. I love what you've done with it, because you're right. We don't have the language and we don't have the knowledge of what we are missing. There is this deep core pull to find it. We talked earlier a bit about cultural differences across conflict, and you had some really surprising awarenesses. Uh, what happens when maybe you use silence because you want to go calm down? Would you be willing to articulate that again? Well, I think... It's one thing for me, having been in prison, saying, yes, you know what, I have been violent. And so I can look at these behaviors and say they're totally not cool and I want to change something. But I think there are a lot of people that two things happens. Either A, they're not aware they're violent, or um, they don't know how to do something different. So if I was brought up the, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And so in my household, what that was is you just turn around and spin off and walk away. And you don't speak to them until, you know, you're good. Well, that's silent treatment is very hurtful to a lot of people, especially if someone was brought up in a household that says, you know, you don't let the sun go down until you've resolved things. 
And so I, I think back to when I was married, you know, I think my ex-wife was more of that person. So she wanted to talk and I just wanted to get away from things. And that was an issue, right? The conflict. And it was a conflict that couldn't get resolved because in my eyes, I'm doing the best. I'm doing right. You know, I'm not saying anything because I have nothing nice to say. And you're doing the right thing, but there's nothing but more conflict. And, and seeing that and knowing how to identify the nonviolent part to say, hey, I really not sure how to word things in a, in a good way right now. So if you can give me some space until I can find a better way. Um, that'd be wonderful. And if she would have had the awareness to be able to say, I'm really not okay with letting this sit too long. I want to resolve this before the night's over. Then now we could have made some plans. Okay, well, check back with me in 15 minutes. And if I'm not okay, we have some room now. And I think culturally there's so many differences between religious cultures, just, you know, just all the different, uh, eight, there's so many different parts that go into that. And they don't get discussed. And maybe people don't have the knowledge or know to um, I know I didn't, and so that's part of what helps now, I guess, being able to, to just awareness and name things. I believe you're absolutely right on that, and even if we do things absolutely perfectly, somebody else's translation with somebody else's life experience or cultural cast is going to come to a different conclusion. Yeah. It is not an easy path to walk. I think the Hippocratic Oath, first, do no harm, I think. If we can justify that to ourselves, maybe we've gone quite a way. <laughs> I, I agree. I think... One of the things, especially with AVP, um, it's, it's great to just to take the workshops, but especially when you facilitate over and over and over and you get to see the same issue comes up. Um, if after 20 workshops, I continually not only talk about my fear and everybody gives me suggestions, but I have a chance to see people reacting differently, there's such empowerment because like, you don't have that space in normal life. I think it's wonderful to have a, a place to practice. You know, athletes, they get however many days a week to go practice and you know what the purpose is. I'm going to perfect this blocking skill, this catching skill, artists, like whatever you're doing, gymnasts, there's these practice spaces and these coaches and here's just like everybody can come together with a concerted effort and where's the practice space for nonviolence? Where's the practice space for, you know, wanting to have more of a pacifist lifestyle? And I think one of the beautiful things about AVP is it offers that. And so you have space provided to continually learn these tools, but also to hone your, your skills. Like I can know about these skills, but until I can practice them in every facet, you know, I don't really get to take a full ownership. And so I don't feel as empowered. And I think it's huge that ability to take ownership of a skill. And I think that's part of the gift that AVP is. Can you relate your work with AVP and how the rest of your life has been impacted by your growing nonviolence? I mentioned you were a playwright. I think you said you were an actor at some point. I know you're a poet. How yeah, is yeah. your life impacted by doing this work of nonviolence? What's different for you? Definitely my relationships with people. It's also kind of weird because some people, oh, there's something about you. What do you mean? It's like, well, I don't know. And I think it's that acceptance of people because I think that's one of the best forms of nonviolence is just to say, hey, I accept you. I accept myself exactly as you are, as I am, not needing to change anything. Because there's so many subtler forms, and one is I need you to be different. Um, I think just practicing noting the violent tendencies in my life and trying to remove those, I find my relationships are easier. The more I come to experience them and how they look, the more accepting I'm that in other people. Because it's not here's this violent person, it's here's this skill this person hasn't had the space to practice and become good at, and I haven't either. But watching people, 
When you're in a workshop with someone for two times and you see the growth and change, and you've been in a workshop with co-facilitators for two years and you see the growth and change, so when you meet somebody new on the street and you see them and they're cursing and this, that, and the other, of course you can have space for them. It's, it's wonderful when you are a personal walking workshop, when you can create and hold a space for not only yourself, but the people that you're around. And I think that's one of the gifts that AVP has allowed me to be is a, at times when I'm mindful, to be a personal workshop where I can hold spaces for people. Well, that's a lovely story. Thank you. We should all have that space, that training camp, so to speak, for making spaces for everybody to be who and what they are. I don't know what you are doing in your life right now for money and things like that. Um, I'm a machine operator. Oh, I would guess that some of this conflict resolution stuff <laughs> is helpful in a machine uh, shop, is it? Oh, I'm sorry for laughing. Uh, yes. In many ways, with coworkers, but really, I think one of the most harmful relationships I've had has been with myself and not realizing how violent um, I've been towards myself. And I think people in general miss it. And so a machine goes out of print. I need to get it fixed. And I don't do it in a timely fashion. The language I use to myself. And so not currently, but what I used to use, because now I am more mindful and I have more tools to use. And so it's just being able to, to say, to use an I message to myself, it sounds really cheesy, but it's important because I see how angry I get at the situation, but I have better ways of dealing. And so there's times where I'll just start laughing, like hilarious laughing. Some people look at me like I'm crazy because they know I'm frustrated, so how can I be laughing? But I can see being in the moment, being upset, but being able to be kind with myself, you know? And it doesn't usually happen until after I've said something mean first to myself, but there's the ability to back up and say, no, you're not all these things. This is what's really going on. You know, here's this I message. I feel really uncomfortable. I feel uh, stupid and all these other things, but that's language that you use because you don't have better language for the word stupid. You're not stupid. And so then I start laughing and it's, it's, it's a wonderful experience. I think sometimes I really wish I had a different job. And other times I'm so grateful because it's another space for me to be able to experience the ways that violence has impacted my life and to practice something different. You mentioned something that no one has yet mentioned on these podcasts, and that's relationship with self and the role of active nonviolence. I read somewhere years ago that in any relationship with oneself, you have at least three relationships. You have the relationship of how you perceive yourself, you have the relationship of how you deal with yourself in yourself, and you have your relationship of where you're standing in your space. And I know there's got to be infinitely more of them. But I like this idea that I can stand outside myself, look in and say, hey, that's not who you want to be. Yes. That's beautiful. Is there a moment in your life or a story inside or outside of an AVP workshop, of course, that you'd be willing to share when you or others that you were with were able to impact things in the moment? One of the exercises we do is sculpture. And basically what it is, is you take a moment that was a impactful moment and you set people in a pose. You give them a word or something to repeat. And when you say go, Everybody set in their poses. They say whatever word or, or phrase you might have gave them. And you give everybody else a chance to kind of go around and experience that. Uh, as I recall, uh, in sculpture, they also have a gesture they repeat over and over again. So they're saying yes. the same word, but the same gesture. And there's a power in it, especially if you don't have the story. And so one of the things I witnessed 
while incarcerated was a gentleman was on the fourth tier uh, trying to drag another gentleman out of a cell to throw him over the tier. Um, and obviously the guy didn't want to go, and so he's holding on for, for life, like literal life. And the guy is stomping him and just an extreme level of violence. And because this individual wasn't liked for his personality outside of his crime also, there was guards literally looking, but they would look enough to where they could pretend like they weren't looking, but to follow it also to see, you know, what was going on. But the idea that none of them were going, um, watching other people playing cards and, you know, part of the mentality is that's not your business, don't look. And so they would try and play cards, but they want to look, but they also, you know, want to just be about their cards. And then you had actively other people tell them, you know, throw them off the galley. And so you set the sculpture, you know, you show people what's going on, and none of it makes sense. When you tell someone, you know, here's your line, you're going to pretend like you're playing cards, and the, the line is something simple like books made. Well, people walking around don't get that. And you see someone else holding on to a make-believe tear and whatever else, it, it doesn't make sense. But then after the exercise is over and you take the opportunity to kind of share with them, this is what this was. It's powerful because you get a chance to see the experience differently and to see this is where we're at, you know, the acceptance for this. And I think there's a lot of trauma that happens in prison. And the biggest trauma is seeing a, an event go on and not being able to say, hey, this is not acceptable because of fear for your own safety. And so I think after that exercise, there was a space created for people to kind of be able to see where they were at with it. Just even if they couldn't do something different, just to be able to identify the, the, the level of violence, the effect it had on them, and just the desire to do something different. I need to know, did the guy live? Yes, thankfully, he did. Um, one of, there was an amazing guard. And if you can imagine, I don't know, maybe almost a city block is the length of one of the, the cell blocks. And so this was happening near the end of one end. And so this guard was all the way on the other end. Somehow she noticed it or whatever. And, you know, there's a lot of different type of staff. And this one has always been known for really being, you know, fair and just caring about her job. But she ran all the way from where she was at. Imagine running like half a block and then running up four stairs. And so she got there before like almost everybody else to make sure like, hey, stop. And so yeah, it was, it was empowering on many levels. Oh, it sounds amazing. I'm so glad the guy lived. Yeah. I would have really. Both of us. And then it, to be able to use that experience and create space. Because I'm, I'm well aware in prison workshops that the code of silence, it's none of my business, is huge. Yeah. It's very hard, especially in prison, to intervene for others because it will bring injustice down on you if you're not careful. You know, if I may, one of the interesting points that doesn't get touched, I don't think, and I don't think really even in society out here, is just to be able to verify, I'm affected right now. I would like, there's something to being able to say, I would like something different. Even if I can't name it as I want to be nonviolent or I want, you know, uh, this, this type of uh, energy present, just being able to validate, I was at a bus stop recently and these guys were jumping this other guy and it was not a very safe place. And this little small lady was like, you're not finna do this. And she stood between everybody. And so one of the guys went to swing at her and that's when other people got involved because like, no. But the whole idea of someone saying, no, this isn't okay. And even if you don't are not empowered or capable to step up and intervene, just to be able to acknowledge it, I think there's a, it cleans up some of that residue that gets left by. You know, there's so much internal energy, and I think it's 
it's really important to be able to honor it, but also to name it and know what it is. Thank you for listening to Everyday Nonviolence, extraordinary people speaking truth to power. To learn more about Friends for a Nonviolent World and the work that we do, please visit our website, fnvw.org, or give us a call at 651 917 0383.